Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome back to the Lantern Recycling Podcast here with Benji. As always, we hyped up this stage in the preview yesterday and it delivered for us stage seven of the Vuelta España. 152Ks long. It's a longer version of that Basque Country Stage 6. Kicks off with a hard climb out the gate, the Puerto La Yacuna. 10Ks at 6%, but with a steeper 4K section in it, and then it's rolling climbs all day. 3Ks, 3%, 7Ks, 5%, uh, uh, 2.5Ks at 9% in, uh, amidst a longer climb. At 5Ks, 5% before the finish, and then the last climb is a fake news climb if we've ever seen one. It's like got a false flat in the middle. It says 8.5Ks, 6.5%, but the last 3Ks are very, very difficult and narrow with 14% pinches. Look like a perfect stage to mount attacks. Uh, but before we get into the recap of the stage, mention our show partner, Lacole, who've been supporting the podcast almost since its inception last year. Just want to let you all know that they have a sale on at the moment and the LRV Welter 20 that's all caps, LRVWELTER20 discount code applies to already discounted items. So if you're looking to get some pretty outrageous deals, now's the time to do that. They produce performance cycling apparel. It's lightweight summer jerseys that they've just brought out, which I can personally recommend. You can check them out at www.lacole.cc. But Benji, initial breakaways, well, it was just breakaway battles for like the first hour and a half of this stage, enthralling watching. Yeah, certainly. And it started off quite simple because you'd expect the climb to be the first moment where people attacked, but Yetzibol decided to attack on the flat section before the first climb because he wanted a bit of an advantage on the riders that, uh, well, can climb better than him. So that's what he did. And eventually that led to uh, other people trying to bridge up the moment at the start of the climb hits. And... Attacks came left and right, like Kron, Cepeda, Javine, attacks like that. And at the start, it didn't feel like Ineos and Bahrain were actually going into moves because we were expecting them to send the satellite rider left and right in the breakaway so that they could do something with that in the stage itself, depending on the situation of the stage in about 80 kilometers from that moment. But that didn't happen yet at that moment. But at the back, the tempo at the front was so much that people were dropping at the back. Hugh Coffey, one of the early victims, together with Freyle and Trotnik. Trotnik, a rider that I expected that could offer a chance to be in the breakaway and be that satellite rider. Freyle a bit early, in my opinion, and Coffey is just, he's just not okay at the moment, it seems, because yesterday dropped just before the final climb, and yeah, today, on the first climb of the day. So uh, what do you think is going on there? Because he also abandoned that address. No idea, because the weird thing is he attacked, like he was setting pace on the front, so... That's what's weird. If he just dropped straight away, I'd be like, he's sick, something's up, he's, he's unwell. But the way he attacked is just weird. I don't know. But, yeah, bad for Carthy. Uh, but, yeah, it was interesting on that on that first climb, we did not really see the GC teams getting trying to get riders into the break. It was the riders Benji mentioned, the 
stage hunting guys rather than um, Dylan Van Baal, Narvaez. And they were all being marked by Sepp Koos. I was watching in the overheads that we did see Koos was not letting any Bahrain guys go. Jack Hay, Poles, yep. Mader, Koos was marking them. So that climb didn't really let a large group go. And then we got this valley afterwards, fault, you know, sort of fast section. Uman has dropped Benji. Like who, who dropped from Yumbo on the first climb? Uman, Van Hoydonk, Bowman? Yes, indeed. Uh, I think Hesink was also in a second or third group at that moment because we had split ups in the peloton, I think two to three groups, but that first group would still split onwards and actually have people, uh, well, emerge into the uh, final eventual breakaway. But yes, we had Gus for me being the most notable rider there for uh, Roglic, but Kreisbeck was also hanging about on that first section. So eventually... The other riders that you just mentioned that Bauman and so forth came back, did you expect them to hold on longer or was this the, the weakness that you expected in Yumbo? I mean, yeah, I, honestly, I, I thought Omen should stay should suit in like Basque Country. He was the one getting into the break yep. that triggered he or she to wrongly follow him in Basque Country Stage 6. So, yeah, certainly at a not at a good, in good shape right now. He was really flushed in the face and eventually it – in that valley, it was the GC teams trying to get involved. Haig was very prominent at the front with Sivakov. I think they trained together a lot in Andorra. We also saw, I think, a couple of Movistar strong rulers. Ervi, er, no, it was Oliveira and Verona, not Erviti, trying to get into a move. And eventually, a huge group like forms, like so big that yeah. the mid panic stations, you don't know who's in it. Uh, we see, I think, Koos is in it. And Yumbo, Benji, they did the right thing. And it was actually, they reacted pretty fast, right, to just snap close that down. I think Hersink, he's almost my MVP today, actually, for Yumbo Visma. Yeah, this was indeed at a moment where Hersink was already back. Omen was also returning. So while he wasn't in shape at the start of the stage, he was returning and being, well, a valuable asset from that point onwards. And yeah, the snapping of Yumbo trying to close down those attacks, those larger groups, certainly was the good move here because you don't know who's in it. And there were indeed a rider from Ineos and a rider from Bahrain in there. So that's a dangerous thing. But you've got Cousin there, and this is something that Yumbo kept on doing in the stage, is putting a rider, at least one rider, in the breakaway and try and either, I think, one, neutralize the group from the inside to have an annoying factor in there that annoys everybody in the group, but also the factor that they're trying to put people ahead. So when they have a, a bad moment in the stage, that they still end up being able to help Roglic after they drop from the breakaway, for example, stuff like that. And it wasn't this group that you mentioned that got away, but eventually there was actually a, a six-man group that got away. And this was because the initial front side of the race was a breakaway with all the GC riders. and. When that is happening, you know that other people are going to continue attacking in this valley left and right. And that six-man group was Bouchard, Camargo, Van Hooke, Arensman, Hamilton, and Storer. So three riders from DSM. At that moment, we were looking at each other and we were, okay, you said Arensman, I said Storer. <laughs> Who's it going to be for today? And I don't know, because they both got bottles at the car at a certain moment. So I didn't know who they were going for. I was thinking, come on, don't say Hamilton right now. <laughs> well, I saw Stora getting bottles. He's already won a race this year, big no-no. And he's going to FDJ already on a deal for the next two years. So I was like, Aaron's been my pick yesterday. It's got to be for him. 
unfortunately, Aronson wasn't looking good later. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> those, those guys went clear. Not obviously GC threats. Yumbo don't care at all. And I'm thinking mm, the stage has kind of fizzled out a little bit. Uh, Jay Vine, he, I know, not just I'm not just keeping mentioning him because he's. Australian, I'm just saying he was very aggressive attack at the start of first climb over and over and over and over again. Um, but then once this break goes, he can't do anything. Kenny Ellison is an example of just sitting in no man's land trying to chase them. Eventually, it's UAE sensing weakness or just a lack of, not maybe not weakness, but that Yumbo won't control them. With Trenton in the group, again, you need a strong ruler to create a split in this sort of it's a th- 3%, 2% drag up to the this hill. Uh, I think Puerto de Beni Yorba. He creates a split, keeps trying. I think for Jan Palance. And he brings with him, we saw see Haig, Groschartner, uh, Sivakov, Kous in that group, trying to get it, and Bardet with him. And eventually, I don't know what happens because honestly, the camera cuts away. We saw UAE trying a lot. Camera goes back. Suddenly, we see on the race center, there's a 22-man group chasing the six-man groups. We know they're going to catch them. Um, UAE, I mean, when you see that from UAE, Benji, do you think that's a matter of Yumbo just have to be like, you got to pick your battles, not chasing that one. We can live with Palance and Haig taking some time and Koos is there versus, or do you see it as, well, no, if Movistar or Ineos had tried something here, they actually could have really put Yumbo under pressure. I think that Hagen there was a bit of a dangerous one, but they know that they have Cousin in that group. They have Omen in that group, both riders of Yumbo, and they still have a valuable amount of riders in the peloton because a lot of riders came back. Hastings there, Kreisberg's there. I think one more rider, I don't know which one, for Roglic. So having five riders involved that can do something for you in the peloton and in the breakaway together, that is very valuable. And the gap was not significant because they kept up a pace in the peloton as well. It wasn't like we're going to snap that gap down. We're actually going to keep that tempo and we're, we're going to allow this breakaway to go, but we're going to keep it at a level where the riders in there are not going to shoot across us in GC, for example. And that's what they kept on doing. We had that group with Aramburu, the legend himself, but you mentioned it, Vine and so forth. Hey, you said it. But... um. Another rider for DSM, Bardet. And that's what was interesting for me because I wanted Storer to win today because that was my (laughs) pick on the podcast yesterday. And if Bardet is in that breakaway, it means that he's not that terrible from his crash. So he's certainly trying something. And they're moving that entire group to the front. (laughs) And then he went for the K1 points. You the, world, the world pole special from the TDF. Surely, maybe they just decided Stora was going for the stage win, Benji. Maybe Stora displayed very bad cooperation and, you know, must be disciplined <laughs> for his lack of cooperation for Roman. But, yeah, sorry, I cut you off. But, yeah, I just couldn't believe that Bade was going for the interim KOM points on stage seven when the stage win was up for grabs. I mean, it is a strong group, like, You've got two Movistar satellite riders in Oliveira and Carlos Verona. You've got three Lotto in Kras Van Hoeke and Kron. Kron, who was complaining, I think, yesterday because the guys didn't try and get in the break with him. And, yeah, like six, five DSM riders. Jay Vine eventually got in there as well. So Australia, very well represented with four guys in the breakaway. Uh, Groschartner and Paulance, I think, trying to – bump up their GC positions a bit Ben O'Connor style. And then there was a bit of a lull. Everyone's working together. 
the big group pacing, DSM are being lent on a fair bit, and UAE Trenton's basically lent on to pull until exhaustion because they're trying to extend the gap for Poulence. Yumbo keep it tight, which yeah, I mean they they're able to keep it pretty tight at that two thirty three minutes, not letting it blow out to anything outrageous, and then the race really kicked off again, Benji with. I don't know what it was on the which climb was it? You, you can pronounce it better than I can. Uh, the El Coyao climb. This was <laughs> the uh, the climb just after the Tudons climb. But something happened in between the break forming and this moment, and that's the fact that Omen was reported in that twenty-two man group, but I never saw him in the front group, and then he was pacing in the peloton. So either he was misreported to be in that twenty twenty twenty-two man group. Wow, can't no, I think anymore. I think he dropped back. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that's a logical move as well, I think, because having more people with Roglic is perhaps safer. <laughs> Benji, Jonas is like, wait, you can drop people back out of a break? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. We could do that. And the tour, they told me, it's not possible. Once you're in the break, you're stuck there. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of that's true. But yeah, on El Coyao, we had Movistar, of all people, that was making a first move in the peloton. And <sighs> they had Verona in the front group. They had Oliveira in the front group. So those are satellite riders for a potential move i just didn't expect it because they're sitting in second third and fourth in gc so usually movistar tends to play rather safe in that situation but volvade went for the attack honestly the most expected rider to do an attack from the tree because lopez i'd expect him to be uh more the uh well he's still a, an, an offensive rider but i wouldn't expect him to be the first of these three mars is just the last one of the tree and will play it relatively defensively i'd expect and Valverde goes for the attack, Carapaz is on the wheel, and then something happens in the corner, but it is with after Carapaz takes over as well. Yeah, Yates attacks as well? Yeah, yeah, true. Carapaz had Yates on the wheel. It was a real, it was a really dangerous moment for Yumbo. There was like a, a 15, 20 second period in this race where I was like, this is blowing up for Yumbo Visma with Valverde pacing. Carapaz, it, I don't really like the way he rode it, to be honest. He, mm-hmm. It was perfect for Ineos. You've got Bala ready to work with you. And you've got, I think, Yates with you, Carapaz, and you're not offering Valverde immediate help. He then waits for Valverde. To, well, I don't know what it was. He waits for Valverde to pull off, and then he like attacks. Not a full attack, but like surge through with Yates, trying to get rid of Valverde. Really weird. And you know, Yumbo, you could see Yumbo closing it there. Like we need to shut this down immediately. I think it was Kreisvik or Hessing. Can't remember. Both. Yeah, like panic stations for them. Right hand corner. Carapaz gets through it fine, and we just see Bala's hands just like shudder on the bars. He comes off his line, breaks, grabs front brake, slides out, goes into under a guardrail, bad crash. Like, uh, he goes off the bit of an edge, uh, really dusty, so he would have been really like banged up skin wise. And you see him struggling to get out of this sort of little ravine. Uh, he's okay, like physically, in terms of life, like life, but limb, not so much. And Immediately, Benji, I felt like this shut down the GC possibilities. Um, and I just, yeah, really sad to see Valverde that banged up. So as Balor is trying to, he initially refuses a bike. Then he get, we're told he gets back on a bike. We see Lopez attacking. Roglic personally neutralizes it. At the same time, the camera then cuts away and we see Valverde getting off his bike. It's like a really sad shot through a bunch of trees stepping off his bike he'd already been pointing to his shoulder and his right arm wasn't working too well he a doctor i I had seen a doctor checking him over before he got back on his bike 
And yeah, we then see him, he's abandoning, obviously. He can't go on. He looks in terrible pain and he's crying into the chest of Chente, one of the heartbreaking sights. You know, he looked in such good condition, Valverde, for this welter and a real threat on GC and a real asset for Movistar and they were all working really well together and, yeah, just to crash out like this is terrible and, yeah, he was distraught. So he abandoned. I don't know if he's if it's confirmed he had a broken collarbone. It looks like the most likely suspect. I don't know what the doctor checking him out saw, to be honest. But yeah, that's yeah, that was really sad. And it kind of nerfed the GC action. Once Valverde, once Roglic closed down Lopez, Master's not going to attack. And Ineos don't try anything, pretty much shuts down. Yumbo go back on the front. The GC group swells a bit more. They got more riders and that's it, to be honest. And it's all about the breakaway up the road. And I think the mo- the next big action was Sivakov, Stora, and Craddock going on their own little adventure, Benji. Yeah, what a what a sober that adventure turns out to be. Because <laughs> on the climbs itself, we have the fact that Stora, of course, uses the uh, the excuse that Bardet's in the next group. So he's like, okay, I don't need to do <laughs> the majority of the work here. I'll just sit in third and take over <laughs> once or twice left or right. Sivakov, not amused. Sivakov decides to attack every single corner. Like, road goes literally. left, he attacks after the corner. Next corner, right, attacks. No, literally, like, every little, I was just saying, every little rise, Sivakov accelerated. I was like, Craddock's a free, Craddock is working perfectly for these guys. Yeah. Quicker on the downhills, strong rouleur. He, he's doing double turns. Let him pull you to the final climb. Like, you should drop him. If you can't drop him at the end, then you're not winning this stage anyway. What are you doing? And they got a 30-second gap and the cooperation behind, Bardet sitting in, Coos not really doing anything, Vines cooked from working all day, Haig is pulling and then no one really pulls over, Groschartner's not pulling too much, Uh, Lotto Ha. And then eventually, Benji, some drama unfolds with uh, Sivakov and Stora, which I think you found pretty amusing. Yeah, certainly. Sivakov's chain dropped, and it was when he was just pacing at the front of the group, and Sora was second in his wheel, and he noticed that. Craddock was already off the back at that moment, so he was gone. So uh, a bit of a soul between the two, because Sora decides to attack while this chain is off by Sivakov, and Sivakov is just distraught looking at his chain. Oh, no. While Sora is just like, oh, fuck this, no mercy, bye. <laughs> and, and, like, there's a few sides to this. Sure, you could say, yeah, um... This man just attacked somebody that has a broken chain. Yeah, that's true. But your take on it was different, right? Well, no. Like Sivakov's attacking him every time his back is turned. He's refusing to work. He's shaking his head. Like, sorry, no. If you stuff up your gears when you're out of the saddle, that's on you. That's always been my take on it. Unless, you know, and this is the pointy end of the stage here. So, yeah, store off well within his rights. Sivakov, full of adrenaline, chases back onto him. They then start, you see them, they're mouthing, they're flicking elbows, talking to each other. Amidst all this, Craddock comes back. Um, <laughs> in the descent and, as well. In the descent, and then flies past them on the descent like the mighty duck he is. And I'm like, <laughs> you know, guys, you could have just used this this ruler the whole time. He would have dragged you. You know that, right? Um, and behind, so those three eventually start working not particularly well. Behind, Carlos Verón is like, enough is enough. Solo bridges across to that group out of a group of Hagen Coos, incredibly strong from Carlos Verona. I obviously gave him a big pump up when I heard about the Mark Soler signing. I was like, I'd rather give Carlos Verona 500 grand than uh, Mark Soler 1.2. I think he brought uh, Lotto Sedal rider with him, but that's of no moment. Somebody else could on. 
Okay, Krohn gets across to that other group and we've got this final climb coming up. So Krohn, Stora, Sivakov, who now hate each other, uh, Verona, and I think Craddock just got dropped <laughs> the next time it went uphill. <laughs> and I'm like, Verona's thinking correctly, I've got to drop Stora before this final climb in Sivakov, the final steep bit. I've got to drop them on the false flat bit, the 4% bit, because he'll cook me on the 14% section. And that's what he tried to do. He tried to drop them. We saw Sivakov and Stora finessing a little bit eventually. When, when did you know Benji Stora's legs just way too good? For me, it was when he snap bridged across to Verona after he got sick of playing with Sivakov. I feel like I felt already on the uh, first attack of Verona, the one you mentioned where he went just a crazy brutal attack where Kron was like, nope, this is not for me anymore. I'm out. <laughs> and that move by Verona, the response by Storer, being able to stay in the wheel while that attack happened without even having a gap to Verona, that's what was like, okay, this man's the strongest in this group. And I think that he has it. But Verona's attack was also strong. So I was a bit doubtful, you know? And like you mentioned, there was that one moment where Kron came back once the first two came together and Verona had a bit of a gap and your boy thought Sivakov was going to close the gap and that, that didn't happen. So Stora had to close it alone and he, uh, he bridged that so swiftly that that was indeed the moment where the confirmation happened. Okay, this man has an option for the stage here and I was doubtful the entire stage whether he was the chosen candidate for DSM, but the others were 50 seconds behind at this point, so they weren't going to go. And then the steep gradient still had to come. And those felt steeper than the 14% on the screen, to be honest. Yeah, bad road surface as well. But once Stora got 20 seconds on Verona, we're like, he's not catching back up. Sivakov was looking in bad shape as well. He eventually paced Verona and Verona came over the top of him. So Stora riding away for the stage win, a much-deserved one. Uh, and even though we saw Verona in the background and who held the gap stable, they're always deceiving. And he takes his well, third pro win this year, I believe, and the biggest win of his career by far, winning of Welter Espana stage. Of course, given that he's winning, he's now off to Groupama FDJ on a two-year deal starting from next year. Uh, which Question. Yeah. Yes. Is this a Ben O'Connor level signing for Groupama? I mean, he looked incredibly strong today. I think he, I think he even knew how strong he was, Stora. Like he, the way he was happy to let Verona go a little bit, and then he's like, "I can bridge back to him whenever I want to on the final climb." I don't know if someone knew something, Benji, or I mean, we cost ourselves a fair bit of money. I think when I when we finished the pod, uploaded it, I looked at the bookies last night. Stora was second favorite at twelve to one. I was like, "That is outrageously short." Like who? Either someone knows something, I know he said he's probably going for this stage, or yeah, people he did. just heavy bet the pod pick, but wow, 12 to 1, but I guess he still got 12 to 1, it paid off because he won. Carlos Verona came second, Sivakov third, Kuss, Haig, and Bardet, Groschart, uh, Necron, Kras, Polance, Vine. They were all like in dribs and drabs at 20 second intervals behind. Uh, out of the remnants of the breakaway, they kind of stopped cooperating in the run into that final climb, which actually cost Groschartner the red jersey, Benji, because he he should have got on the front earlier, in my view. Uh, if, if he if he really just wanted to wear the red jersey for the day, if he didn't, no matter. In the group behind, which we haven't mentioned for a while, and this is a long stage recap, I know, but a lot happened today, so we had short sprint ones. In the group behind, Yumbo pacing, nothing happening, and the gap was coming down. 
and yeah, I got to say it, it was expected in that it eventually kind of shut down after the Valverde crash. And we see if you go to the finish with Roglic on this climb, I was like, literally no one's gapping him. So the question is if Roglic cares to attack. Yeah, but I have mixed feelings about this because really? of course Roglic would perhaps not be willing to attack because he wants to make sure somebody else at the front can take the red jersey. And we'll talk about Ineos making moves to try and pressure into that and try and make sure Roglic keeps that jersey. But having Kreisweg pace just before the climb counters that, right? Yeah, I think I thought, yeah, that sounds like big brain. Ineos are like, Roglic hates doing interviews. Let's make sure he keeps it and loses <laughs> recovery. But, and Jumbo were like, no, don't pace. But yeah, they kind of did. So that doesn't make sense. He didn't attack, but they also paced. I don't know why he hates the red jersey so much. Maybe he's allergic to it, whatever. Um, but yeah, they just paint. Yates accelerates. The only thing of note really is that Lando gets dropped again. Loses quite a lot of time. And I think Bernal is looking pretty comfortable. Lando lost 30 seconds on that climb. And a GC group of Adam Yates, Roglic, Mas, Bernal, Lopez, De La Cruz, and Mankies went across. Vasov also losing another 13 seconds. He just keeps shipping time, Vasov, you know. It's a, yep. a problem for him. So the, the revised GC, Roglic first, eight seconds ahead of Groschartner, who moves up 13 spots into second. Then Mas, Lopez, three and four. Paul Valverde now out. Palance up to fifth, 38 seconds. Then Bernal on 41. Haig now the best place. Bahrain rider on 57 seconds. Kus back as a GC threat, 59. Then Vlasov down at 106. Yates 11th on 122. Um, I don't know, Benji. I don't know what to say about this stage, how it worked out. I'm, I'm really reluctant to say that Yumbo looked vulnerable because I think big tick for Yumbo Visma. I, I no. guess Uman dropped, but otherwise... I think they played it completely perfectly today. I think so as well. They um, look. They came into the stage with teams not knowing how strong they were, depending on the fact that in the first stages they were just plainly weak. And today they were able to kind of rise above that. They had some riders that just weren't there at the start, which is expectable from a Von Hoydonk on a climb like that at the start. So you can't expect that guy to get over that so easily. And eventually the riders that dropped on the first climb were able to come back. Sure, the race situation helps. The fact that Volverde crashes there could play into the fact that Yumbo has an easier response to those attacks with Carapaz and so forth. Because if that doesn't happen, then that attack might lead to a longer attack, for example. But I'd say they were never really in trouble, but the other teams did try. And that's what I like about it. We were talking yesterday about Bahrain and Ineos going in the breakaway at the start, trying to respond to that. Based on the result, Lando just didn't have it to do that. But for the rest, like, where's Spotten these days? Like, <laughs> he is Benji losing 27 minutes. So <laughs> he's uh, he's not even a quasi GC threat. So yeah, I think Caruso looked a lot better today. He was with Mader and Lander helping Lander. Um, Lander's a real problem for them. I don't know what I don't know what's next for Bahrain because I guess Hay got in the break, but then he lost time yesterday. His form, you know, it's hard to say. Oh, Hay's going to be flying for the next two weeks because he come back from the crash so recently. But yeah, tough decisions for them. What is for certain is Lander's not looking good. Like if he's losing time on these finishes, 
well, where's he going to gain time? Certainly. I've got one question, though, about Roglic, because we we mentioned this in the Tour de France 2020, back when we did those recaps, where throughout the entire Tour de France, we were mentioning on stages where Roglic could have taken time, but did not do it. Like, for example, the Petisurde stage, where he decided not to respond to Pogacar, where he clearly was able to do so, stuff like that. And every time we said, this could come and bite him in the ass towards the end. It did on stage 20 on Plage de Belfia. Sure, I think at the morning of that stage, the majority of people were not expecting that. And eventually, the fact that he didn't use every opportunity to gain time bit him in the ass. Now, for this Vuelta, he does not have that competition that is glorious in time trial and could make such a crazy thing happen in the time trial on paper. But it's obviously scary because, yeah, he's... He's in the leader's jersey, but he only has 25 seconds on Mars, only 36 seconds on Lopez. That on paper is very good with a time trial like that at the end, but do you think there's any chance that it could bite him in the ass? If, for example, like last year, uh, whatever that climb is, Formigal on stage six, he has a, a jersey problem, like his, his rain jacket. If it happens on any stage and he loses a minute and a half that way with such a stupid thing, then... And he might regret moments like today where he could, like, to be fair, easily take half a minute on people. Benji, the gap between 1st and 15th is 2 minutes 19 on GC. Compare that to the end of Stage 8 in the Tour de France this year, where it was like half an hour. The gap between Roglic and 8th on GC is under a minute. He's 25 seconds out of mass. You're literally one mechanical, one crash away from, you know, you lose two and a half minutes then you're like, okay, now I really need the TT to help. You know, TT results aren't guaranteed. Andrew the Vault of a Portugal, Moreira was going to flog Antunes in the TT and win. He crashes. He loses GC by 10 seconds last week in the Grandissima. So TT results aren't guaranteed. So, of course, like if Roglic is still doing some weird red, I'm scared of the red jersey thing, it's like, dude, you're going to have to control the stage anyway. Like, yeah. <laughs> like it doesn't the only matter difference you... is the press. <laughs> True. Yeah. Okay. The press, I guess, of course, um, and that you know the more you'll do more anti-doping, and it all takes time after the stage. I get that, but yeah, like if you feel good, take the time. You don't know if you'll if you. I don't think that if you f- attack here in the last five hundred meters, seven hundred meters, and that, and or you don't attack because you want to conserve your legs, that that will necessarily mean you're going to have great legs in week three. I don't really, who knows? Yeah. And Paris proved that stuff can go wrong in stages for him. And even with a lead like in Paris which was bigger than 25 seconds, stuff can still happen that you lose a minute, two minutes in GC, and you lose that Grand Tour that way. And I think if Roglic actually this entire week had gone for time gain i think he would have been at least a minute ahead of everybody agree which right now it doesn't seem like an issue and it could not end up being an issue at all but it's worth discussing because it might become an issue because in the tour de france 2020 we discussed it people criticized us for it and it turned out to actually be of a very big influence but another mention i do want to talk about is uh sepkas because today he goes into that breakaway eventually him being in a breakaway leads to nothing but he does gain a lot of positions in GC. Do you think that that is one of the things they were thinking about or do you think they were just trying to send somebody ahead just in case if they needed it? I don't really know because Coos wasn't really 
helping the break too much. So I, I thought he was there for the stage when I was like, oh, they're giving him some freedom, you know, like they did 2019 Welter, go for the stage, you're there. Why not? I thought, you know, made sense. And he didn't really go for it. From what I could see, maybe he didn't have the legs. But um, I'm sure he did the final climb full. He did a pretty good time on the final climb. I think he beat everyone else in that group. So, yeah, I don't really know. He's now back. GC Coos is back. Will he lose more time? And the time trial know. four minutes, but well, it depends whether Prologue <laughs> can also do a good time trial. Cause, but yeah, that's a, a whole other story for the end of the Grand Tour. What about Ineos, Benji? Where do they? I think I feel like the Yumbo Vision. We talked talk about what you know they should or shouldn't have done, Robert Chia. But I feel like there's more question marks for Ineos. They tried in the crosswinds yesterday. They, I feel like Carapaz, to be honest, kind of scuppered that Valverde move, frankly, and then they pace with Yates on the final climb today. What's next for them? What options do they have? And can Bernal ever really get out of the wheel of Roglic? Like, when are we going to see him try something? Because it's all been Yates so far. I think Bernal's mostly hoping towards the uh, larger climbing stage in week three, because at the moment, it doesn't seem like he can get over uh, over Roglic, and it doesn't seem like he can drop Roglic. Now, when it comes to Yates, he seems to be the attacking vessel for that team. He seems to be the rider that goes on to the attacks together with Carapaz. Carapaz a bit further in GC, so might get more of a leash on stages to go for attacks. For example, if today, for example, that move with Carapaz works in Volvade, Volvade is the danger. Carapaz not directly, because Carapaz is on 2 minutes 48. Now, if you get him back into 1 minute, that's more dangerous than if he's on 2 minutes 48, but it's not the end of the world. So, stuff like that, you got to think about, and they can't do that with Adam Yates because he's still too close. And what would, for example, happen if Adam Yates did not respond to Carapaz? Or that move on El Coyao was Carapaz without Adam Yates and just going for an attack. And of course, with Volvade crashing out, he'd be riding alone at that point. And of course, Lopez responded, so this entire discussion is useless. But I think Carapaz would have had more freedom than anyone else to make that move. Yeah. So yeah, it's tough for them. For Bahrain, I think there's even harder questions. For Movistar, it's very similar. They're going to yeah, use Lopez as the attacker. Mars is just going to try and be consistent. Uh, there's been some news before I preview tomorrow's stage on, I guess, some speculation from the man himself, Jonathan Vorters, about Carthy's performance. Apparently, Vorters implying that maybe it has something to do with uh, Carthy getting his second COVID vaccine. That's just what he's saying. So maybe something to do with that, he says. But I guess Walters also said today that Magnus Court did 468 watts for five minutes yesterday, but apparently Walters said his max capacity for five minutes is 485 watts, which um, is incorrect. <laughs> I think Corona Escalada <laughs> pointed that out. It's like literally not possible that his max five minutes is 485 watts physiologically if he did 468 watts at the end of that, being in that breakaway with all the – uh, energy expense. I love how he, how he gets agitated then by someone else pointing out a mistake. And, and he's like, no, come on. I, I, I'm reading off the data. Where, where are you getting your data? <laughs> like, okay, come on. If someone points it out and has criticism for you, try and use it. And don't look <laughs> at it like that. Because obviously the Vodder's followers go into that and are ripping into Chrono Escalada there. Meanwhile, Chrono Escalada is actually doing the right thing and actually pointing out a mistake. So stuff like that on social media. Sure, talk about the vaccine stuff. I don't I don't really give a fuck at the moment. Like, yeah, I'm not a medical professional professional, so 
I'm not going to talk about it. Yeah, I mean, I did find it a little bit funny. I mean, Walters being defensive, I guess, is true to form. But yeah, like obviously, Court can do more than 485 watts fresh if he can do 468 watts at the end of yesterday's stage. But uh, don't tell that to Jonathan Walters because accuse you or me of being twitter experts Watch out, he might block you on twitter <laughs> god forbid tomorrow's stage stage 8 174 k's long from santa pola to la manga del mar menor it has like a weird v-shaped climbing section in the middle three k's at five percent then two k's at six percent back to back it reminds me of the giro stage that sagan won ahead of gaviria a little bit easier though where bora paced very very hard to drop nitzolo and dylan Gronewegen. Benji, will we see uh, Bike Exchange trying for Matthews to do that and will they have success dropping Philipson? I personally don't think so. I think Philipson's winning this stage. I haven't checked the last kilometre actually when it comes... Is is this not the stage that ends in the middle of the the ocean? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's going to turn into uh, into Moses and going to open the... (laughs) The sea just before the peloton, and yeah, there's a sprint in the middle of the ocean. <laughs> Legit, there is. I don't know. I, 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 Who's I best like, in water? I don't know. I like I like Philipson. I think the Alpsen train has been the best so far, apart from that one stage is a little bit of a problem with Modelo, who by the way had a terrible non-apology to Bike Exchange yesterday. Um, just don't tweet it, mate, if you're not going to apologize. And but yeah, I think I'm going for. Philipson again, who's your pick? I am going to go for Jakobsen. I thought about it for a while because I've had a discussion with somebody in the comment section and I really respect that person because he's actually made good points about Jakobsen versus Cavendish for the Tour de France next year. And I looked back at all the stages that Jakobsen had his prints in so far and it feels like if Jakobsen has a good lead out in these stages, he has a large chance of winning all three stages because positioning is the reason that he's not in the position to win it. Now, the same works for Phillips in second stage. So, yeah, I don't know about that one, but I'm going to go for Jakobsen for this one. I'm going to try and uh, jump out of the, the Philipson boat a bit and I'm going to support Jakobsen for a second so that it's 2-2 that we can go towards the uh, tiebreaker again afterwards. You don't want to go with Damar? He's been looking really good. Well, his lead out isn't. <laughs> yeah, I think Jakobsen's better than Philipson. I just, uh, yeah, I think the lead out makes a difference. I've not liked the lead out for Quickstep so far this Vuelta Espana. But I hope you enjoyed this recap. A lot more happening to, in today's stage. I think maybe we're missing it. Maybe there'll be a break tomorrow and the climbs in the middle will put off De Koenig, FDJ and Alpsen chasing and we'll have a ruler break, style break once again. Who knows? Uh, but the world is certainly getting a lot better in the last couple of days going into the weekend. Thanks to Lacolte for supporting the podcast. Give us a like or a review on podcast players if that's what you're listening to. Ciao.